Thank you to Alex and Grace and Grace and Faith. Um, Man, I hope you were paying attention to the words of that last song and really all the songs. Uh, It's going to set us up well for the sermon this morning. Question for you this morning, what is the finish line of all of your work, all of your labor? What's the finish line? Like if everything you're working towards, everything you'll do this week, everything you did last week, everything you've done over the past few years or decades, everything you're going to do for the next few years or decades, what's the finish line of all of that work? And I mean the finish line, right? Like the finish line, the the line when uh, the finish line of all finish lines, right? When you're heart stops beating and your lungs stop breathing and your friends and your family gather around your casket and try to find nice things to say about you and try to find ways to comfort one another. That's the finish line I'm talking about. It's the finish line that needs to be on your mind this morning and I would argue should be on your mind every single morning of your life. What's going to last on that day? And what's going to last beyond that day? Like, what things are you working for now that's going to last 10,000 years from now? Right? Things that you're doing today, this week, this month, this year, this decade, that are actually going to last for the next 10,000 years. What in that moment is going to be victory? Right? What in that moment will cause you to get to the finish line and say, yes, I did it, and have other people come around you and say, yes, praise God, look what just happened. Like, What are the things that you're going to glory in and find joy in in that moment of the finish line of your life or Christ returning, whichever one happens first? Like, What's, what's victory look like in that moment? Or... Think about the opposite for a moment. What, what, will it, what are the types of things that you'll get there and be like, man, that was worthless. That, that didn't last at all. In some ways, that didn't even matter at all. It doesn't seem like it mattered at all at this point in life. What's, what's the opposite look like? Now, maybe you spend most of your life trying to avoid this type of a question. I would argue the flesh, most of us do. We try to ignore the reality that one day we're going to die. And yet, 100% of the people that we can read about in history, more than 150 years ago, all of them, 100% of them, save like two in the Bible, all of them died. And you start to realize you're probably not the exception to the rule. No, you're going to die. So you probably spend most of your life trying to avoid that reality, but I encourage you to echo with the psalmist in Psalm 90. He says, and this is Moses writing this psalm, Psalm 90, he says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Processing through, he says, look, Lord, it seems like just watching everybody around me, it seems like 
The span of a man's life is 70 years, or by reason of strength, 80 years. So he's been wrestling through the shortness of life. And Moses prays, teach us to number our days. Teach us to realize that life is really short. And in so doing, teach us a heart, give us a heart of wisdom. And so if you want wisdom moving forward from today, one of the ways that you'll get it is by thinking about your last day and living this day in light of the last day. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You see, I don't want you to get to that moment, and more importantly, God doesn't want you to get to that moment and think, eh, it was all worth it. Like everything I did, even everything I did as a Christian, wasn't worth anything. It didn't last at all. Maybe it was worth something in the moment, but it just didn't last at all. God actually wants more for you. In the letter that we're currently studying, 1 Thessalonians, Um, we're looking at two massive things that are actually going to last up until that point that you leave this earth or Christ returns. Things that are going to last and things that will actually last beyond that. For spiritual maturity in yourself and others to the end. So labor, we might need more words there. Labor, toil, grind, exert yourself, pour out your life's energy. Spend, expend your life on, on what? Spiritual maturity. In who? In yourself and in other people. How long should I do that for? All the way to the end. Till Jesus comes back or He takes you home. Whichever one happens first. That's how long you're supposed to do it. Somewhere nearby, 1 Thessalonians is a small letter in the back of your Bible. If you're not used to navigating your way through the Scriptures, 
Uh, most of your Bibles, all, every Bible I've ever picked up has a table of contents in it. Use it, First Thessalonians. And just open up the page there. Uh, you might have like the first few chapters there. As we pick up our letter this morning, we're concluding, uh, we're going to get all the way through the end of chapter 3. The end of chapter 3, some of the original manuscripts of chapter 3 have the word amen at the very end of chapter 3. Some of your English translations, like if you have a CSB, it'll have the word amen there. Like it's really a conclusion before another launching off point that's going to happen in the passage next week. And so as we get to the end of chapter 3, I just think it might be helpful to see what, what's he concluding here, what's he finishing here. And really the first three chapters of Thessalonians, if we're not careful, it's like the, the writers, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, the writers are writing to the church of the Thessalonians and they're writing about their story together, their history together, right? And so in chapter 1, They're writing, hey, do you remember we brought the gospel to you? We preached the gospel to you in word and in deed. And you, Thessalonians, you received the word. You turned from idols and you received the word. And then the Thessalonians, they received the word and they responded to the word in word and in deed. And their belief and their knowledge just sounded forth through all of Macedonia and Achaia. So other people believed because of the Thessalonians' faith. And then in chapter 2, they, they kind of recount how they, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, how they preached the gospel and they brought the gospel in word and in deed. They treated them like a, uh, chapter 2, verse 7, uh, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And then in verse 11, You know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you. And so this is the type of ministry that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy had with the Thessalonians. And so if we're not careful, we might start to look at this and say, oh cool, this is just like Paul talking about the good old days. Paul saying like, man, wasn't that awesome? Man, praise God, that was cool. Let's all just celebrate together. But actually what happens, where we're going to pick up reading, and I will read here in a second. Um, Where we're picking up, we're just going to jump right into some tension. Paul primarily, the writers, but primarily Paul, is going to bring us into a tension. And then he's going to bring us out of the tension, and then he's going to kind of launch us towards the last day that we're thinking about this morning. So pick it up with me in chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Chapter 2, verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in hearts, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy 
our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, he has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God? as we pray most earnestly day or night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may God, may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to be present at that day of Your return. We want to show up to that day blameless in holiness before You, Father God. Before You, Jesus, our Savior. And before all believers from all times. We want to be there. We want to celebrate and we want to be holy before You. And we want to bring to that day as many people as we possibly can. We want to see as many people saved from this broken, sinful, at odds with one another world. We want to save them from that and bring them into Your glorious lights and into Your family. Lord, we want those who come to You to be holy and blameless before You. We want to we want to see the saints of the Lord acting like Your people, acting like Your saints, that they would be holy and blameless before You. So Lord, we ask that You would transform our hearts today, that You would transform our minds today, and in so doing, You would transform our labor and our effort and our toil from this day forward for the rest of our lives until we reach that last day. Minister to us today. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So again, the charge for us this morning is labor for spiritual maturity in yourself and others to the end. 
The short version of that is the title for the sermon, Labor labor for What Will Last. Labor for What Will Last. The shape of this passage, uh, I already said it, that He's gonna, they're going to bring us into attention, the writers. They're going to bring us into attention. They're going to bring us out of the tension. And then they're going to kind of launch us towards this last day that is on our minds. So first, I want to show us what the tension is in this passion, passage. The tension. Short version of the tension is glory and joy or vanity. Glory and joy or vanity. That's the tension. The spiritual maturity of yourself and others will either be your glory and joy on the last day, or it will be objective evidence of the vanity of your work on the last day. The worthlessness of your work on the last day. So in chapter 2, the very last paragraph in most of your Bibles, the last paragraph there of chapter 2, verses 17 through 19, we see that the writers, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they've been torn away from the church in Thessalonica, the church that they love. They are prevented from returning to them. They're prevented from seeing each other face to face. And so in one, one sense, you might feel like the tension is that they're not with each other. Right? And that is a tension initially, but the tension actually gets deeper and there's actually more happening than just that there's people that miss each other. Right? It's, it's more than that. So notice in chapter 2 and verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you, for you are our glory and joy? It's a fascinating thing that the writers say here. They say that the Christians, the church, the believers in Thessalonica, their faith and their continuing in the faith is actually the joy and the glory before God of Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. It's just a fascinating concept. These believers will be Paul's hope, joy, crown, boasting, and glory. Alright, so that's one end of the rope of the tension, right? So on one end is that believers, other believers, walking and continuing in the faith is going to be the joy, glory, crown, boasting of those who brought them into the faith. That's one end of the tension, okay? Look at the other end of the tension. It's in, ver- in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, the writers, they decide to send Timothy to these believers. And so they send Timothy, verse 2. We sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co worker in the gospel, to do what? To establish and exhort you, the Thessalonians, in your faith. Well, why would you need to do that, Paul? Verse 3. So that no one would be moved by the afflictions that they're in. Okay? So the, we just learned something about the situation of the Thessalonian church. They, they have afflictions. They have trials. They have difficulties. And Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are worried that those trials and those difficulties are going to them, lead them to abandon the faith. You see, afflictions... 
And trials and difficulties are parts of the Christian life. The writers do not shy away from that. They do not tell them how to escape these afflictions. They don't say, hey, if you guys just had more faith, you wouldn't be in these afflictions. That's not what they say at all. Paul actually says that these afflictions are part of the Christian life. Notice what he says at the end of verse 3. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this, referring back to afflictions. We're destined to be afflicted. Part of the life in this fallen world is afflictions. And part of the life of a Christian especially is afflictions and trials and difficulties. And I just want you to know that the world... Sometimes the world veiled as churches and gospel preachers is trying to sell you how to escape from afflictions. The true gospel, what the Bible teaches, is actually how to endure through afflictions and to maintain your faith through afflictions until Christ returns. And when Christ returns, then there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more hardship. Okay? So that's what's, that's what's going on here. We still haven't quite articulated the other side of our rope, the other side of our tension though. You see, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they desire that those that they brought the gospel in Thessalonica, Thessalonica to not be people that when afflictions come, abandon the faith. They, they strongly desire that. Okay? They, they've read the story, the parable of the sower that Jesus taught. Jesus taught, hey, there's, there's different types of responses that we see to the gospel. Some people, they hear the gospel, and before they're really even able to respond, Satan snatches away the word, and, and they never seem to respond at all to the gospel. That happens all the time. People hear the gospel, and they move on with their life. They make no change no, no response at all. But there's other responses. The second one seems to be most in their mind. The second soil in the parable of the sowers is that the Word of God comes to people and they respond and initially it looks awesome. But as soon as trials and tribulation come to them, they fall away from the faith, proving that they never genuinely responded to the Gospel. And so that seems to be what's on the mind of Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. They say, we don't want you to be that. We, we saw your initial faith. We were with you for a little time. Now we're separated. We know you're in trial. We know you're in afflictions. We want to know, are you continuing in the faith? That's the question. When you see a brother or sister in trial, when you see a brother or sister in affliction, our desire should be, man, are they continuing in the faith? Not how can I get them out of the trial. Question number one is, how can I help them continue in the faith? How can I help them to, to strive for what matters? Notice verse 5. For this reason, this reality that you could, leave, you could leave the faith and prove that you never truly believed in the first place, for this reason, that reality, when I, Paul, could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. I want to know about your faith. I don't need to know all the details about the affliction. I don't need to teach you how to get out of the affliction. I want to know about your faith, he says. Because I fear that somehow the tempter tempted you 
And that would mean that our labor with you would be in vain. So the one side of the rope tension is that if the people that receive the Gospel through Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are walking in the faith, that is their glory and joy and hope and crown and boasting. The other side of the tension is that if the people who, are, who, who they brought the Gospel to are not continuing in the faith, it will prove that their work with them was in vain. And that word just means empty, means worthless. It just, didn't, it just didn't mean anything. Like it looked like something and then it vanished. It was like an illusion. That, that's the tension of the passage. Spiritual children who are doing well bring joy, glory to the spiritual parents. Spiritual children who have wavered from the faith show that that particular labor was in vain. And so here's the question. Are, are you living in that tension? Do you even appreciate that that tension exists? I have three questions on this first section here. The first one is, are you a child of God? It's the first question you should be asking. Are you a Christian? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Have you heard and responded to the message of salvation? Do you know that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? If you don't believe these things, you certainly shouldn't be bringing the Gospel to other people. Do you believe it? You've sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you know that God, in His great love, sent a Savior to save people who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Do you know that God, a loving Father, has prepared a way for you to be saved? Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus Christ is that Savior? And that if you would place your faith in Jesus, that you would be saved and you would be part of the party that we're going to see at the end of this passage. Right? You'd, you'd be there on that day with Jesus. All the people that love, worship, and adore Jesus. Are, are you there? And are you walking daily, repenting of sin, believing in Jesus? Repenting of sin, believing in Jesus. You stumble into things, you're like, whoa, didn't even know that was a sin. I need to turn from that and trust in Jesus as my Savior. Is that your life? That's the starting point. That's the starting point. We're, Paul's writing to Christians here. I'm preaching primarily to Christians here. But don't be confused about where the starting point is. The starting point is to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation. So is that you? Question number two, if you are a Christian, think about the people who brought the Gospel to you. Right? If you're a Christian, that means the Gospel went from Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of Thessalonica and sounded forth all over the place and eventually it made its way to you. And that means somebody told you the good news of how you can be saved, that you were destined for hell and that you were a sinner and that you have fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news is if you place your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ, you can be saved. Who was that for you? Who was that? Think on them. Who is it? Put like in your mind, write down. Man, that was 
For me, Pastor Sam McGarvey preached the gospel to me my entire life. And my parents preached the gospel and exampled the gospel to me my entire life. Until finally, and I'm sure they felt like I was very hard-headed until I was 20 years old and I responded to the gospel. 20 years old, my parents just faithfully like, don't do that. This is what a godly life looks like. Don't do that. This is what a godly life looks like. Pastor Sam McGarvey, just preaching, preaching his heart out every single week, week after week after week. And I was there usually twice every Sunday, listening to the gospel, and then finally repented and believed in the gospel. Who is that for you? And is your life walking in a way that honors their commitment and their proclaiming the gospel to you? Have you told them recently, if you're walking in the faith, if you're walking in the faith, how encouraging would it be for them to get a note from you just to say, man, thank you so much for being faithful to proclaim the gospel to me. Thank you. Man, God's still good. Life's still hard, but praise God, I'm still in the faith. Praise God. Third question, if you're a Christian, I want you to think about your spiritual children. People that God has used you to bring them into His family. Your spiritual children. People that you have led to the Lord. Paul is crystal clear. He uses this language all the time. He's like, man, we were like a nursing mother to you. We were like a father to you, teaching you and exhorting you. Like, man, we... And Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith, his beloved child in the faith. Paul uses this language all over the place. So who are your spiritual children? Who have you brought the good news of salvation to? Have you even done that? That's like step one. Are you being faithful? You, you may say, like, I don't think I have any spiritual children. Well, step one is, Proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Everybody starting with you. Like rehearse it with yourself and then start telling other Christians like, hey, am I getting this right? Is this how I talk about the gospel? Is this the good news? Am I understanding it properly? And then you start to tell others. And you'll start to run into people that don't get it. And they don't understand the gospel. And maybe they'll repent of their sins and believe. And you can praise God together. If you do have a couple spiritual children, like how are they doing? Like did you just get them to pray a prayer? And like, woohoo, that one's done. Now I'll move on to somebody else. Or did you continue to pour into their life? Did you continue to disciple them in the faith? Did you bring them into your life to show them, hey, this is how Christians live. This is how we read the Scriptures. This is how we respond to the Scriptures. This is how we walk in step with the Spirit. Like have you walked through that with another person and how are they doing you care about the sanctification and the holiness and the spiritual maturity of other people you care about that like when you think about the other members of this church that's an easy one to start with you think about the other members of this church are you primarily thinking like you know what man i don't really like how brian preaches i wish i can't wait till one of the other guys comes up there or like man somebody was kind of rude to me and they didn't say hi to me when i walked in or uh, man, there was a funny smell when I walked in, or uh, I don't like the color of these chairs, or whatever. Like, no, no, no. Like, when you think about the members of the church, you think, man, I wonder if they're walking in holiness. I wonder if there's anything I could do to help them, that I could help them grow in their Christ likeness. 
I'm just going to give you one to start with. I kind of alluded to it already. If somebody has been beneficial in your sanctification, go encourage them in that. So if someone has been beneficial to you in helping you grow in the faith, go, go tell them. Be like, man, I, thank you. That was really helpful. Thank you so much. Um, one of the gigs about being a pastor is people bring you their problems. Right? That's good. Like, I like solving problems. I love solving problems that I'm not emotionally invested in. Uh, so like solving other people's problems is sometimes better and more interesting than solving my own problems. But people bring me problems. You know what? After 11 years of pastoring, there is a problem no one has ever brought to me. Nobody's ever come up, and I bet Pastor J.D. has been pastoring way longer than I have, and uh, I bet nobody's ever brought to you this problem. You know, Pastor, I'm just getting way too much encouragement. Like, good, godly encouragement. There's just like, every time I walk in the doors on Sunday, somebody's just thanking me for my godliness in word and in deed in their life. I'm just too doggone encouraged. Nobody has ever brought that problem in front of us. Sorry, in front of me, you'll have to ask Pastor J.D. if he's had that. This is the type of labor that will last. This is the type of labor that will last. Will you pour into the life of other people? Will you care for their standing before God? This is the work that will last. You may say, well, I mean, I'm doing other important work. I'm doing lots of important stuff. That's good. And honestly, a lot of the work that we do that is important, like in the here and now, we should keep on doing it. God would have us do it. But we also need to realize in the back of our mind, this doesn't actually last. Like it's important now, but it's not going to be important five minutes from now. Right? It's important to realize that and then also devote some of our time to other things. So uh, my last deployment... Um, in the military, I was part of an artillery battery, and uh, we were in northern Helmand province in Afghanistan. Uh, an artillery battery typically supports one maneuver battalion, uh, but we were supporting like nine maneuver battalions. Uh, we were shooting a ton of artillery uh, for that spring into summer, and then uh, Washington, D.C. said, hey boys, time to come home, just bring it home. Like it wasn't like we were, we were like stopping evil. We were like stopping terrorism and, and supporting those who were doing that. Like we were doing all that. And then somebody else came and like kept doing that. No, no, no. For like my last deployment, it was like, no, no, no. Pack up those cannons and, and fly them back. And then y'all leave and the cannons leave with you. Okay. It was important work, but it didn't last. It didn't last. It was important work. I, I believe God used us as part of the sword of government, just like He's using many of you. God used us as part of the sword of government to be a terror to evil. If you haven't figured out what you're doing in the military, that's what you're doing. Your job is to be part of the instrument of the government instituted by God to stop evil. But I just want you to know that's a, that's a temporary thing. Evil's going to continue to exist until Christ comes back. You're not going to stop evil continually forever. Jesus is going to do that. The other thing I did on that deployment was I shared the gospel with a few of my Marines. Just a few of them. And one of them, Jeff, became a Christian on that deployment. 
He became a Christian. A few months after I got back from that deployment, we started this church. And the second Sunday that we gathered as a church, after church, we celebrated a baptism like we're going to do this morning. So the first baptism of Pillar Church of Jacksonville was Jeff, who was saved while we were doing really important work, slinging lead downrange, trying to stop evil. Somebody came to know Jesus. 10,000 years from now, I trust, I pray, I believe that Jeff's going to be celebrating with me around the throne of Jesus. And all the other stuff I did, like being good at shooting artillery, like, eh, that just kind of vanished pretty quickly. See, my work in the Marines didn't last. It mattered, but it didn't last. My work in making disciples is what will last. Same is true for you. This is what Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are wrestling through. They're wrestling through this tension. Will our labor last? Will it matter on the last day? Will it lead to our joy and our glory? Or will it be in vain? Will it be worthless? So our encouragement to you this morning is labor for what will last. Labor for what will last. Alright, so that's the tension. Let's get out of the tension. In chapter 3, verses 6 through 10, you can find joy and encouragement today. You can find joy and encouragement today. If you labor in this type of work, you can find joy and encouragement today. So I feel like there was a bit of a tension at the end of verse 5. If I was like the Thessalonians receiving this, like, all right, Timothy came, Timothy left. Now we got a letter from Paul, like, what's daddy think? You know, like, did we do good? Is he going to say we did good? Or is he going to be like, hey, Timothy told me what's going on. Let's fix this, this, and this, like he did with the Corinthians, right? So there's a little bit of tension, but he, in, in, chapter, in chapter 3, verse 6, he says, man, Timothy's come back to us. Man, he has a good report. Your faith, your faith, your love. He's reported to us that you're continuing in the faith. And Paul says in uh, verse 7, For this reason, brothers, in our distress, in our affliction, affliction, we've been comforted. Why? Because of your faith. So you can receive joy. You can receive comfort today. You can be encouraged today when you care about other people's faith and other people care about your faith. You can receive joy and hope and comforts in those things. You can, you can receive all those things today in this life in a transient way, right? Joy and celebration abound. If, if you're walking in the faith, reach out to somebody else and, and, and be involved in their faith as well. It can be so encouraging with one another, right? There's lots of stuff we could talk about, right? Lots of stuff. We can talk about the weather. It's really nice outside. Cool. We can talk about uh, sports. There's two important football games this afternoon. Cool. None of that will last. Okay? What matter? Like, man, how are you doing? How's your walk with the Lord? Tell me about when the gospel came to you. We're going to have a brother get up and tell us how the gospel came to him at the end of our service. We look forward to that. Focus on others and it'll bring you joy and encouragement in this life when we care about the sanctification of other people. So we come out of the tension by doing this, by actually caring for the spiritual maturity of other people. And then in chapter 3, verses 11 through 13, 
that little final paragraph there, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they just kind of like launch us towards the last day, right? And it's just this like prayer that he launches into. Again, uh, some of the manuscripts have it finishing with amen before he gets to, all right, now why I wrote the letter, keep doing what you're doing and continue to grow. He launches into this prayer of praise. He says, now may our God and Father Himself And our Lord Jesus, direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Look, we're all growing. We're all being sanctified. We want to continue to see this happen. Verse 13, so that He, God, may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Yours and others' spiritual maturity will be what lasts on the last day. The prayerful goal for all of us should be, like verse 12, that we would be abounding in love for one another and for all. In verse 13, that we would be blameless in holiness. That's our prayerful goal. The other prayerful goal as we look towards that last day, as we march towards that last day, it is to bring a bunch of spiritual children with us. Right? Like you want to show up to that party and you invited other people to the party. That's what you want to do. You don't want to show up by yourself. You don't want to be like Lot who showed up with the fringe of his garment burned. Right? Like barely made it. Hey Lot, who'd you bring with you? Your wife? Ooh, nope. Your daughters? Eh, nope. Lot, who'd you bring with you? Cricket? Cricket? Nobody. We don't want that on the last day. We want to show up. We're like, Jesus, I'm so glad. So glad to be here. Who'd you bring with you? I brought all these people. And, and we're not actually going to boast. We're like, I, I don't know how you used me. I don't know how you did so, And that's just going to cause us to worship Jesus even more. Because we're going to be like, I, I, I was just a messenger and I was a very imperfect messenger at that. And somehow God blessed what I did to bring about this salvation. Praise God. It's what we want on the last day. And we want as many of us to be as much like Jesus as possible on that last day. So who... Are you bringing with you to that day? Who are you bringing with you? How is your abounding in love and your blamelessness in holiness? How's that going? Pastor JD uh, led us to read the second paragraph of our membership covenants last week. I encourage you to continue to do so. It's just kind of talking about our personal walk individually as members of the church, that we would mutually build one another up in Christ, that we would strive for uh, the advancement of the church of Jesus Christ in knowledge, holiness, peace, right? That we would do all of those things together. So how's that going for you? Where do you need to work? How about those that you're bringing with you? How's their holiness? How's their sanctification? Paragraph 3 of our membership covenant. I'm just going to read two sections, two little sentences almost. 
We also commit to maintain family and personal devotions to disciple our children in the Christian faith, to seek the salvation of our relatives, acquaintances, and enemies. Did you know you committed to that? Did you know that? That you would seek the salvation of your enemies? It's a tough one, isn't it? Maybe a good place to start is our children. You want your physical children, your biological children, your adopted children, your foster children, uh, do you want them to all be brothers and sisters in Christ? And so you disciple them in the faith. How is their love and holiness, your friends, your acquaintances, your relatives, and even your enemies, how's their holiness before Christ? Labor for spiritual maturity in yourself and in others all the way to the end. Labor for what will last. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, we know because you tell us in your word that on the last day, our works, our deeds, all the things that we've labored for, you're going to test them by fire. And the things that are not meant to last in your kingdom will be burned up. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to begin that testing today. That we would examine our lives, that we would take inventory of our lives. Holy Spirit, I ask for your help for every believer in this room. That you would uh, convict us of sin where that is needed. That you would propel us towards obedience where that is needed. That you would illuminate your scriptures to us where that is needed and that you would guide us into your truth. Holy Spirit, I also pray for those who are not yet trusting and placing their faith in Jesus Christ, that you would convict them of sin, that you would remove their heart of stone, and that you would give them a heart of flesh, and that today would be the day of salvation for them. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.